This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? <laughs> oh, we're recording now? What the hell is we this? We have okay. been recording. Are oh you ready? God. Okay. Yes, I'm ready. Let's do Guys, it. Guys, Brian House is here, baby. You know how it is. This is the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. Before we get into it with my brother, Brian House, let's talk about a little business. We're going to keep this quick. Broadbeck Ironworker, Broadbeck Ironworks, makers of the 2x72 grinder. This thing is great. I use them. I love them. I love these guys. Small business in the United States with great customer service. Definitely check out what they have. Knife Talk 10 gives you 10% discount if you go to broadbeckironworks.com. Check out all their attachments. It's for you. If you're in the, in the idea, if you're in the mood for a grinder, this is a great grinder to be in the mood for and among other things. So definitely check out broadbeckironworks.com. Next is, if you're trying to make something hard, you don't have to go very far. You have to go to evenheat-kiln.com and check out Evenheat. It's hard on the outside. It's warm in the inside. It's all good for you. You know what I'm saying? Evenheat-kiln.com. Check out the tap control. Check out the solid state drive. This is for you. This is it. If you're hardening knives, if you're hardening tools, whatever it takes, do it right. Use the Evenheat. Uh, stainless steel. If you're in a stainless steel game, you got to get an Evenheat. So just stop playing. Get an Evenheat-kiln.com. If you're in Australia, go to my friends at Nordic Edge. That's at Nordic underscore Edge on Instagram. Nordic Edge makes awesome pro tools for knife makers. They also have all the stuff you need to get stocked and resupplied in the uh, knife game or the blacksmithing game. They also teach classes. Definitely worth it. Um, great guys over there. They're supporting uh, Australian makers, and it's definitely worth it. Uh, I would highly suggest checking out Bra- um nordicedge.com.au if you're in Australia and support them. Now, if you're in Canada, you got to deal with one of a, a, a dying breed. Dying breed. You're talking about a guy who's in the big, in the game and he is a knife maker too. That's maritimeknifesupply.com. Lawrence is terrific and uh, he's always looking for new things for knife makers, not just in Aus- not just in Canada but the United States. Shipping is awesome. Uh, the, he's changed makers in Canada's lives. Uh, Noah Vachon has said his life is a lot easier now that he's got Lawrence Lake around. And so do you. Go to maritimeknifesupply.com or maritimeknifesupply.ca and get yourself squared away with him. I would highly suggest checking out the belts. If you get a 10-pack of abrasive belts, you get one free or a 10% free. One free. Yeah, 10 one of 10% one of 10 is 10%. I'm with you. Next is my friends, are my friends at Trojan Horse Forge. That's uh, Sam and Jeff. Over, they make this stable rail knife finishing vice. This is top of the line, top of the line knife finishing vice for not just your handles, but also for hand sanding. It's got a deck with uh, rubber rubber gaskets and stuff. It's really terrific for finishing off your knives and get you self sword away. So definitely check out them over at TrojanHorseForge.com. If you put in the promo code FULLBLAST10, you can get 10% off everything, including their handle, press, attachment. Thing is awesome. Their T4 Sentinel Oil, I love it. It's great stuff. I think it's really great, and I'm using it all the time, especially for the, the stuff that I need to worry about getting rusty, the stuff I need to worry about getting patina i use the t4 central oil and uh, all my uh friction folders send them all out with t4 central oil i love it definitely check out trojanhorseforge.com put in the promo code full blast 10 for 10 percent off all of the links are in the uh, show notes wherever you're listening so you don't have to just write this down. none of you guys got pen, papers and pens anyway so let's just let's just pretend like you 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 can click on where you buy that where you want listen to this and click on the link there 
Speaking of guys who are coming on the show soon, Baker Forge and Tool is in the house. My boy, Koi, is going to be coming in soon, and I'm really excited to talk to him. Meanwhile, Baker Forge and Tool makes great stuff. This is really, really great exotic steels, sand mice, uh, bronze mice, copper mice, all these exotic steels that are perfect if you're in the knife game and you're looking to kind of make something exotic. It's stuff I've been using, and I just finished off another piece. I'm always surprised at how easy it is to work with and how how consistent it all is there's never i never find myself in these positions of having like a delamination or any kind of weirdness or nothing it's it's really awesome stuff so go to bakerforge and bakerforge.com put in the promo code of uh, full blast and you get 10 percent off everything including your gator piss yeah that's right gator piss i use this stuff on everything i use it on damas steel it works on damas steel i use it for Dam damascus i use it for all the baker stuff anytime i need to do any etching it is a proprietary etching that's mixed ready to roll this stuff is awesome it's all in the name ladies and gentlemen gator piss gator is short for alligator piss is short for urine this is the stuff for you next are my friends at total boat that's totalboat.com slash full blast for all your two apart two part epoxy needs and other things uh, paints of primers compact polishing compounds this stuff is awesome and i highly suggest using it if you use the affiliate link you're gonna give me street cred i don't know what you're gonna give me you're gonna give me street cred and probably a couple jars of glue you know what i'm saying so go check out totalboat.com full blast keith decent keith johnson all the keiths derek from malden keith mitchell to uh, jeremy duresta they're all using total boat so you should too totalboat.com full blast Next is, I tell you what, GL Hansen and Sons, makers of the G Carta, is awesome. Stuff is so, it's so eye popping. It's almost like people didn't even know what it is. When they see, when a customer sees it, they're like, is this coral? Are you using some sort of coral? No, it's awesome. It's called G Carta, and it's a unique composite of natural fibers and fabrics mixed with epoxy under pressure. Stuff is tight, and you can get really wild stuff like Bofa and Ripple Cut, Tuxini. Mahi Mahi, Radio Worm, Jakarta, Pheasant, Pheasant, Colorama, and Hoopla. And if you go to jakarta.bigcartel.com, you can get yourself a couple scales of this stuff. Basically what it is is very colorful. Um, it's like micarta, like fabric micarta. And then they, he roll. I don't know how he does it, frankly, but he rolls the colors all over the place. And he makes these incredible patterns, and he'll make a loaf. And then he'll cut the loaf cross cut, and then you'll end up with these slices of this like it's like coral almost. And some of it's, I mean, that's all really awesome stuff, and I, I really like it very much. So I would highly suggest you yourself some of that G10, uh, no, the G Carta, and go to uh, G dot L dot underscore Hanson and Sons on Instagram. You can check it all out and see what you see it for yourself. Uh, I would highly suggest getting the hoopla and also get my my the pattern that I named Electric Fuzz stuff's awesome. And last but certainly not least, not last but certainly not least, last but certainly almost least is my friends at Tormek. I can't thank you enough. The guys at Tormek are celebrating 50 years in business with the Black TA sharpening system. It's a water-cooled sharpening system. The thing is great, and it's changed the way I make knives. I make better knives because I'm using the Tormek. It is a, is made me realize that I needed to kind of change my geometry on certain things. And now that I have the Tormex, I am making better knives. I'm also sharpening in a way that I'm not taking off too much material. I'm sharpening in a way that it's very easy to use. It's very quick. Uh, and I am thrilled with my Tormex. So go to Tormex.com or at Tormex underscore sharpening on Instagram. 
And last but certainly not least, I want to thank my friend, Brian House, who sent me the Rapid Quench Plates. They arrived. We're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about all this stuff about Brian House, but I want to thank my friend, Brian House, for these amazing Rapid Quench Plates. They are terrific, and I we're going to talk all about them. Without any further ado, the host of the Workford Podcast, the captain of the ship at Housemade Industrial, Brian House. What's up? I'm doing great, Jeff. I'm I'm feeling good. I I just love being on the Full Blast podcast with you. I hope well, you know I'm, this. I'm with you. Dude, we're all radio guys. We're a dying breed, ladies and gentlemen, because Brian and I like the record the, the we like the concept of, of radio, we like the concept of recording. I know you, you at one point you were doing voiceover for books and stuff like that. I we like this whole avenue, and I think that separates us, you and I, out from a lot of people in the podcasting game. I'm always surprised at how many people listen. You know, that's yeah. the other piece of podcasting is when you're recording something it's easy to forget that people are going to listen to this and sometimes give you feedback you know mm. on the things that you're talking about and i'm sure you get that a lot because you're on two very popular podcasts and you're able to uh, reach a lot of people so you get you know people making suggestions and or you know telling you like hey this was my experience or whatever the podcasting medium is such a powerful medium and when craig told me about it and he was like hey you should really think about doing this i think you'd be great at it uh, I did not know the power of it until, you know, of course, we've been doing it now, what, three years or so. Right. And uh, we're in the, I, I think we're in like the top 2% from what I can gather huh. from the data. And you're you're actually in the top half of percent of all downloaded podcasts in the world, which is. Knife Talk. Knife Talk, yes. I don't know about Full Blast. I didn't look at Full Blast I don't. yet. But uh, I don't look. I don't look. I know. I stopped I, looking a while ago. I stopped looking a few years ago. It's just like anything else. When you create content, you just kind of have to ignore the numbers. It's you know, it's one of those things. You should do it because you enjoy it, and hopefully, it brings you some satisfaction. And whether that satisfaction is in just say a cathartic release of something, like talking about something that helps you through a process, or financial gain you know you could sell things you could talk about what you're doing your work gets supported that way that's a big one and you know it's hopefully a com combination of the two things those two things you know it's the whole thing's fascinating and i've been podcasting now for probably 13 or 14 years and i i love it because for me i mean i've said it a million times i'll say really quick is you know growing up by myself as a latchkey kid i was afraid of being alone in a dark apartment in manhattan and I was alone. And the, and the doorman would, when I'd come home from school, the doorman would let me in. And it was scary. And it was like, you, it's just, radio kept me company. And I'll never forget it. And there's something about being part of something and someone talking to you that keeps you com comfortable, uh, keeps you company. So when I first started doing the Downward Spiral with Nico Tavernisi, who I'm going to have on pretty soon again, I was just like, I know no one's, no one's listening to this and we just got to work through how to do this and not sound terrible. And we ended up having a few, uh, we ended up having a number of listeners and thank God, not too many because it, it really was, it was a shit house. And then, you know, Knife Talk gather, he, when Craig started Knife Talk, he had already gathered a ton of steam because the crazy thing is 
there was there was not a lot of knife making podcasts, but especially not one with someone who sounded as if they were serious. And Craig, because he has this very proper accent when he's not around me and Mareko, he sounds like if you listen to the original episodes, he sounds like a BBC guy. So people really listened a lot, and it was like it gained a ton of speed. And then when Morocco and I came on, it was like that's when we got the most interaction in the beginning. It was very bad, actually. I don't know if you know that. Usually, the first few of anything you do oh, is kind of bad. They you know? ha- they hated me. They hated me. I got. Oh, such... you're saying when you joined pod the podcast? Yeah, you got a lot of negative. Not a lot, but it was like. I, the 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 weird thing was was like in the beginning Craig was doing it to kind of learn how to be a knife maker by talking to other knife makers, and then he just got tired of figuring out how to do these interviews, and because if you do a straight interview, you're asking questions, and you have to be prepared. But at the same time, if you're doing it every week, you kind of don't want to just like have to prepare as much. Like he was. I helped him in the early days get on board with Even Heat, and he had no sponsors, and and it was like, it was hard for him to just like keep doing it. So when he wanted us on to kind of like help him have a conversation without it being the same, you know, conver- you know, the same thing over and over again. And I mean, I I honestly I made the joke years ago, and I said it again: is I would have been perfectly happy if it was shovel talk and they still let me on and we just talked about fucking shovels. I didn't give a shit. I just wanted to kind of like go back into podcasting after doing a few years on the downward spiral. I just wanted to, whatever it took. So I kind of did some Opie and Anthony, some Howard Stern stuff, and I would try to make Mareko and Craig laugh. And then we did ended up getting a lot of comments about people saying, ever since Jeff came on, I can't listen to this with my kids. So it was like, you know, was learning. learning oh, curve. I get that too. I I've had people say, I don't know why you guys you know use expletives or, right. or whatever, and and I just went, you know, I'm not going to filter myself to protect your whatever your your delicate sensibilities. It's just not how I do things. I I've never been that way, and I also encourage those same people with with the same breath that I tell them I'm not going to change. I tell them I would encourage you to give us an opportunity to prove to you that people that use the F word can in fact be good people. Because I think there's a big selection of people who immediately hear someone that speaks like a sailor and they go, oh, that person is either dumb or they're rude or they're a bad person or something along those lines. So I'd like to explain it to them and say like, look, that's just the way I talk and don't take it the wrong way. I grew up near Chicago. Everything was F this and F that, blah, blah, blah. That's just how it is. New York is even worse. I felt more at home in New York City than I felt pretty much anywhere else I've ever been. And it's because I'm used to that like very forward, very uh, brunt uh, conversational uh, tone. I don't like small talk. I don't care about the weather. I would rather just get it done and get it done fast and and uh you know be have this transaction work that way but if you know what i mean i know what you mean but also the i think that the, a lot of podcasters and there's a lot of especially in the maker community are of younger people they're younger than me i'm not going to say younger than you i'm going to say younger than me 
And what th- what that means is a lot of them don't have the experience of listening to talk radio. Mm-hmm. Like local talk radio in New York is a lot different than talk radio in other places, other parts of the world, where it's very compelling. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to be compelling. And part of being compelling is to the it's the job of the host and the guests to, in my opinion is to make them feel so comfortable that they talk in a normal way that they would normally talk without it sounding like it's forced cliches or things that they, you know, they're worried about how they're going to be perceived. And if they happen to just happen to say fuck once in a while, I'd rather you be comfortable and, and be authentic than to, to than otherwise. You know, and then you, that's 100%. how you can get someone to, that's how you can get a conversation to be a little bit more, Interesting because, you know, they're just, you know, you're, you're, you're just, yeah, you have to be sincere and everything like that, but you also have to be very aware of if, is this interesting conversation or not? hundred percent. If you, the, our job is to keep the, the flow of whatever we're discussing interesting. And this is why I chose to not do an interview show because I respect what you do on full blast here where you bring other people in and you're right. You have to do a lot of preparation. You have to know something about the person that's coming on so that you have, you you can speak intelligently to them about their life or ask them questions that would guide them into say interesting uh, content. The, The problem though is most people are very not interesting in general, what I've discovered. And I think that's a successful point for work for it where I can apply somewhat dramatic interesting details to normal things that have been happening around me i can explain it in a a way that captivates the audience they want to sit they want to listen to me talk about you know who did this and you know i love the quilting circle shit Why, why do you think howard stern is so successful the guy basically created reality tv he just did he knew yeah. like people love drama they love bullshit they love all of that stuff as much as you know and here's a, here's a here's a great example uh howard stern loves the tv show the bachelor or the bachelorette those styles of shows which wouldn't be classic manly tv watching would you agree like most men are not going to sit down and watch the bachelorette you know it's right. just that's right not our flavor right, right. he openly admits that he knows that it's just so far-fetched that he would even enjoy it, but he loves it because of the drama, because he knows it's somewhat fake, but it's real enough. It's kind of like pro wrestling. You know it's not real. It's real enough, and it gets you where you need to go, which is somewhere other than your daily life, somewhere other than what you're doing with your life. If you can take that same exact mentality or concept and apply it to like whatever you're doing say business in the workshop like we discuss on work for it you know we could talk about things like pickle having a raffle and some guy wanting to buy a hundred dollars worth of tickets pro bono and let the raffle run tell the reset tell the story so pickle cutters is a is this your you have a podcast called work for it you have brian cone b cone and then pickle cutter awesome guy nick tobin a great new addition to the show He's a knife maker out of Canada. He's doing a raffle, and a guy wants to buy the last 10 uh, slots in his raffle. Take it away. Last 10 slots in the raffle at 10 bucks a pop. He says to Pickle, I want those last 10 slots. Uh, you know, send me an invoice. Pickle sends him the invoice. Nothing happens. Right. In the meantime, 
Pickle has now said to the entire world, everyone that's watching this raffle, hey, we've sold out. Everything is done. We're going to make the drawing tonight at 9 o'clock. It's like 6.30 in the evening. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. The guy doesn't pay the invoice. He goes back to the guy, goes, hey, we're doing the drawing. I need you to pay the invoice so we can do this drawing. And the guy says, what the hell are you talking about? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to pay it right now. It's, it's too late in the day. This is his excuse. Right. It's too late in the day. I can't, I can't pay that now. Meanwhile, right. it's a PayPal invoice. It take two seconds. And he says, well, I want to do the drawing. He says, I'm going to send you the money tomorrow. After now, the drawing. After the drawing. You and I both know. That if, you, if this is what <laughs> happens when you do it, Canada, what's going on, Canada? Yeah. Like, come on, that's a that's some New York bullshit, you know. That is that is the backdoor okie doke. God, that's like worse than the three card Monty. Oh, it's terrible. So you know, of course, him and this guy get into it in the DMs, and what does Pickle do? He screenshots the entire interaction and posts it publicly. Hilarious to shame this guy publicly to show that this guy is really a piece of shit. Like, he's just trying to get around the system. And, of course, the guy blocks him. There's more drama that ensues or whatever. But this is like a, this is like a day-to-day thing that happens to people, I'm assuming. Something similar where people are getting kind of screwed out of money, you know, for different reasons or different weird customer interactions, things like that. That never really get, you know, blown into uh, the public space. We don't get a chance to witness it. However everybody loves it they read it they love what do they what what binds us together as a, as a community that oh, the com- Freud. exactly the common hate for someone right. who is doing something that is outside the norm or trying to kind it of get one over them people want to exactly. be, people want to gawk they want to uh, they oh. want to a, a rubberneck people love their rubberneck life it is human nature right. to want a rubberneck it's rubbernecking on someone's inside story and of right. course this is the reason why i love pickle and i've been friends with him for many years and it's because of this kind of behavior he does not care that he knows that this is going to burn a bridge he does not care about that he knows that it's going to destroy a relationship but at the same time it's going to entertain other people along the way right. he would buy into the entertainment side and burn a bridge and at the end of the day the guy can go to bed and close his eyes and sleep like a baby you got to have that guy on your podcast by the way his voice is like a gravel driveway if you're listening to our podcast you're hearing his voice He's got such a different tonality to the way he speaks. He speaks fluent Canadian French, right? So, you know, the guy, we've got all these little things that we do with him on the show. But it's, it's amazing to hear his perspective from somebody that's totally unfiltered. He does not candy coat anything. He just leaves it as is. Look, this is the way it is right here. But he's one of the most understanding, caring people I've ever met. And that's the guy you want in your corner. You don't right. want somebody who's going to tell you, yes, 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 and then not fulfill that obligation on the other end or whatever. I would much rather have somebody like Pickle who's got the ability to just say, look, this is the way it is. This is how I see the world and fuck everybody else that doesn't see it the same way. But then come back, circle it back around and go, yeah, I might have been an idiot later. Like, you know, he's willing to admit it. I just love having him on the show. Anyway, that's that. That's a long, very long description in a way of to tell a story about something that occurred to you and get people invested in what you're telling that story for, and well, have them sit down and listen to it and listen to it throughout, you know, and want to come back and listen to another episode. 
That's here's really hard to do. Here's what's interesting in regards to the whole pickle cutter thing, because I, I really kind of wanted, this is kind of an odd uh, thing I want to talk about. In regards to having guests, I like having guests because I feel like it makes me a better, the podcasting has made me a better speaker. I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a, when I was a kid, I had a terrible stutter. And this has made me far more, this has made me far more a better public speaker than ever. And it's, I see it as all as practice and I've become a better listener too. Um, in regards to guests, I'm having less and less guests. I don't know. I'm having it less because, because it is becoming taxed doing two podcasts a week. It is becoming taxing having to like spend the amount of time that I'm, I demand of myself to get new people. And I'm going to have new guests and stuff like that, but I, I have a lot of, I have what I, I have like a bullpen of people that I really like having back on. And it's, we kind of, you know, bullshit and stuff like that. And, and I, we're going to get new guests on, but I, I, I totally know what you mean. It is a lot of work. Back to the whole pickle cutter thing. What what's interesting is, and I it's a comment I wanted to just talk about in terms of the concept of business in the workplace. Um, well, there's a couple things. One thing is is something you said uh, last time you're here that I wanted to get to. But what's what's interesting to me is, I feel as though when I heard that story, it was a great story. And when you're in the content creation game, especially the podcasting game, I refer to it as burning time because I need to like I'm I'm like good for three hours a week, uh, I need to be able to have something to say. So like if something crazy happens, like with a customer, I'll be like, all right, I can, I can bring this, I can be vague and bring this to knife talk and it'll be kind of funny or something like that. So I see all that stuff is like, I'm going to use this for content. But when it comes to business, all I can think of is, especially with these raffles and the waffles and all this stuff that, you know, um, younger Knife makers are getting involved in business. To me, it always, the first thing that pops into my head is, boy, this is all a big waste of time. Boy, this is a lot of time and energy misspent. To me, that's the first thing I think of because I just, I'm now at the point where I just, I cannot go back and forth a hundred times with someone. I can't do it. It's just, it's, it, it's too mentally exhausting for me. And even for the sake of content, it's too exhausting for me. And now I have uh, Allison who works for me and she's amazing. And this is, she's just her like third, two or second or third year with me. And she's, I don't even know, but she's been fantastic. And now she's starting to work with trying to help bring in, we're dealing with um, big, bigger orders. We're doing, uh, dealing with potentially more uh, wholesale. We're dealing with people who want bulk orders. So she's going back and forth with customers and she's checking in with me and I'm always saying, how many emails is it? And it gets to the point where I listen to the summary of everything. And I'll be like, you're spending too much time. Your, your time is better spent elsewhere. This isn't going to work. Or this guy is going to, I'm hearing red flags that makes me know that this guy just w wants to talk to a girl on the phone or whatever, which happened. So I always think about like anytime I'm in, anytime I'm in the shop or I mean, anytime I'm doing something business you know, in the shop, basically in the shop, I feel like the meter's running. And a lot of times I don't think a lot of younger knife makers really start to realize what it's like to actually be in business. You know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. I'm a, I am a, I am an, efficiency expert when it comes to all forms of communication especially with housemaid um, if we really need to we'll get on the phone with a customer but 95 percent of all of our business is done through our chat system 
and through DMs and through voice messaging back and forth, even with my vendors, like people I buy things from and resell them, I'm like, I'm very hesitant to get on the phone because it's a lot of um, back and time. Forth. Yeah, time wasted. Uh, I don't need to know your life story. I don't care that you were you know, doing something in the late eighties with whatever. I, I don't need all that. I just, you know, my focus is very business oriented and we get people all the time that say they want to come to the shop and, you know, just stop in quote unquote. And, um, most of the time I'll, it depends. I'll, you know, say like, yes, we can carve out 20, 30 minutes, but that's it. Understand we are here to work. This is our workplace. It's not Sorry. to hang out. It's not to, uh, you know, do anything other than, you know, get, get our work done. Um, but 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 more to me, it's more about like I, I think a lot of it is the the wasting of time and energy with like I felt I felt when I heard that story I was I felt bad for for Nick because oh, I felt like I see what you're saying yes I felt like it was such a huge amount of time of his time and energy wasted especially considering he had a backstory with this guy he knew the guy was kind of a piece of shit and all of a sudden it's like it almost seemed too good to be true and it part of me is just like well at least he got to use it for the podcast and he made an interesting story but like if this was in real life i'd be like oh my god that was like fucking way too many hours that was way too much time spent dealing with like something that i knew was going to be garbage and what i find is especially i mean on knife talk i feel like I feel fortunate that I get a bit a better a bigger view in regards to what younger hobbyist knife makers are getting involved in when they get or the questions that they're asking. I'm getting a, we're getting a lot more business questions that are about customer service, about what do I do when a guy wants this or what do I do when he won't pay or how do we deal with this concept of um, I don't feel comfortable taking payment up front. And there's a lot of these guys who are af afraid to totally commit to being in to cons I won't not to being this as a business but it, what's interesting is is I've never once heard one knife maker or hammer maker or blacksmith maybe a blacksmith I've never heard an artist I never heard a sculptor refer to this as a career hmm. and what's interesting is is they'll say side hustle they'll say full time they'll say part time they'll say hobbyist they'll say dabbler not too many people say dabbler. I say dabbler. But but you don't ever hear refer any of them refer to this as a career. And I just like, part of me is just like, some of you guys are not spending enough time with people who are actually in business. And you're doing this echo chamber of what you're supposed to be doing from other knife makers who don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, the, you get a lot of that where people are repeating bad information over and over and giving bad advice, you know. So, yeah, first time, first thing you want to look at is when someone's giving you advice is who the fuck is that person right. you know, when you're listening to it. And I think that's why Work For It has been so successful because I tell it like it is. I'm like, look, the amount of transactions we do daily, you don't have time to dick around with all this stuff. And if a customer is upset, we have a very quick uh, way to solve those problems. We have a very, you know, quick procedure. Okay, this, if this works, great. If that doesn't work, move on to step two. If that doesn't work, move on to step three. Make sure that customer is happy. But do not, do not tickle their balls in the process. It is, this is not what this is about. This is about making sure that they're happy at the end with the end result. We need to get there fastest, and that's important. But yes, I agree with you. You've got all these guys who are, they have no idea really what it looks like to, 
take a transaction between someone else and themselves and boil it down to what is best for them. And at the end, both parties are happy. This is literally the definition of business. It's a transaction between two people or two entities. And at the end, you're both, you both feel like you either gave something up or you're very happy or some mixture of the two. One you can't thing, do that if you're sitting here uh, dealing with somebody who's saying, I'm going to give you $100 for the last 10 spots, and you have to go back and forth. Now, in Pickle's defense, I think he loves that. I, I know he loves that. He loves the drama, too. He loves that whole piece of it. So for him, he gets something out of it, and he gets to share that this guy got, you know, got under his skin in the DMs, and it was a whole thing. The other half of that, though, is, yeah, like, when do you cut it off? Like, at what point do you say, this is not worth my time? The start of all business is transactions like that. But hopefully your business evolves into something where you're not doing that. And I think that's the, that where we need to kind of scribe a line in the sand. That's one thing about what I appreciate, especially one of the, one of the many things I appreciate about what you do on the podcast where you really are using real world business talk in and you're also you talk about forecasts and you talk about your profit margins and then ROI return on investment all that I do appreciate the fact that you're actually using real world um, business talk because I hear stuff I get you know I hear stuff from other knife makers and it's just like I feel like I, I call I feel like they're running a lemonade stand and and it's like fine if that's what you want go ahead but don't don't uh, I mean let's just you know it's either you know don't don't ask me how to do things if you just want to stick with the lemonade stand you know which is fine um, one of the things that I, another thing I wanted to bring up was is I think that you're very 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 well equipped to what you're doing right now and a lot of that has to do with your experience. And I feel as though one of the big things I just saw um, Nick Ross, he just posted a reel where he, he's starting to do these like, I don't know, I wouldn't call him a skit. I, would, I don't know what you call him, but he's video hemming at him as two different people. And he's asking the knife makers, you know, the, 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 the novice is asking this guy questions and he's playing both characters. And what's interesting is, and I've had him on a few times, and I, and I feel as though one of the things that we don't talk about enough and something that you have clearly is experience. The experience, your your former experience doing things that you've done have informed you in regards to how house made can function. And I feel as though that there's we we are in it. We watch the, we look at social media. We see people, and we have this in, this idea that everything is overnight, and we disregard experience almost completely yeah i mean yes it's uh experiences all the decisions that you make you can have like gut feelings about things and it but it takes here's here's my definition of successful experience is that you know and it takes you a long time you know to trust your gut okay so when there's an opportunity or there's a problem in front of you your gut is going to tell you to go in one direction or the other. Step one, remove all emotion. Emotion in business, not so good. You want to make sure you have a clear head. Step two is to say, what's your first reaction to that problem or opportunity? And step three is, do you feel like you're qualified to make that decision? 
without, say, uh, external um, influence, right? So if I have a, an issue with something that I don't have an answer to, I have a, on speed dial five different people that I could contact at any different time. And I could throw that question out to them, and I can get the consensus from those five people. And they'll, it'll take me 30 seconds to a minute to get their opinion. And that could be mean the difference between a, a really good decision financially or a really bad one. Uh, that's kind of rare these days. I don't really need to do that so much anymore, but I do do that. And then the other part of it is is that when when I when you hear the word experience, you think like um, immediately in my mind, I think it's like just an, another older guy, older than me that um, made these decisions and knows what he's doing because he's got all this these years behind him of making those decisions. He has he has experience in that that realm. The reality of it is is you can be really bad twenty years from now and make really poor decisions twenty years and from now and that would be considered experience too but you never really moved forward you never really kind of uh, changed your station in life so you have to kind of take the word experience or age or whatever you might want to call it um, with a grain of salt because there's a lot of people that make really poor decisions even for years and years and years they stack them up and they might look successful on the outside there's a lot of people out there that really look successful and I always question that because uh, I think, why the fuck would this guy show me a photograph of himself on a private plane, driving a very expensive car, eating very expensive food? He's trying to sell me something. He's trying to prove, without any other evidence, that he has been successful or he has success. And uh, I'm immediately very, very um, suspicious of that kind of behavior. Um, these people who are selling classes or guru classes or whatever. But when a guy like Nick Rossi does it, he has no reason to do it other than he wants to help. He likes people and he wants people to succeed. So he's giving this information away for free. He is not asking you to pay for it. And so, and I trust Nick because I like Nick and I know who he is and I've met him and uh, worked with around him. And so I see like, okay, yeah, this guy's legit. Like he does his thing. He's really good at what he does. I would listen to a Nick Rossi on certain subjects. Um, that, that, is why I think I love, and you probably saw the comment that I wrote under his video, and it was just like, this is wisdom from the guru. I'll take it. I want this. I want this wisdom. But he delivers it in a way that's entertaining. It goes right back to podcasting, right back to keeping it interesting, shooting it twice, answering his own question, putting on a funny disguise so he's two people. That's classic Nick Rossi. That's why he's a great educator. That's why he's a great knife maker, and you should listen to him. I guess for me, when I think of experience, I'm not saying this guy's experienced and that guy's not. When I think of experience, I bring it back to um, you understanding what's going to happen because it's happened to you before. Mm. Like exper experiencing like when you, let's say I, my friend uh, Rick Barter was going to cut some stainless steel and he was trying to figure out, he, to, he, had, a, he had a retrofit a, a range hood and he was installing this range hood. He had to cut a slot out for the, the range hood, and he had satin finish stainless steel. And he says, I'm trying to figure out how to do this. Does anybody have anybody, has anybody had the experience with cutting this stuff out? What should I use? I'm thinking about getting a nibbler and stuff like that. And all these guys are saying, oh, you should get a nibbler, you should get a nibbler. 
I used to work in with stainless steel, satin finished stainless steel, and I said, no, 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 this is how you do it. This is the, unfortunately, this is the only way to do it. You put blue tape down, you mark your lines, you use a, a cutoff wheel, yeah, you skinny cut wheel, on yeah. the inside of the line, and then you you know you make sure that you're protecting the satin finish, and then you with a little bit of scotch bright you fix the edges and something. It was because in my mind I'm thinking, ugh, I hate having to use a right angle grinder, but that's really the best way to do it. And the experience was, and then the experience of of how to to I was trying to explain how to do it because I used to do it a lot. I hated doing it, but at the same time, the experience of understanding what is going to happen. I know the grinder is going to be loud and it's going to rattle and it's going to sound like shit. And how, but it's really the only way to go. And there, there's this. The idea is, is like you have these moments in your life where you know what's going to happen because you've done it before. To me, that's experience. Experience is mm. if you run your drill press with the chuck key in it, it's going to fucking fly out, you know. Or, or, or if you hold your knife with your when you're hitting the drill and you're you got you're not far away enough from that hole and you're tight. If you're holding the knife closer to the drill bit and not with the leverage, it's going to spin out of your hand and it's going to be a helicopter. In the experience of knowing of, of when you can use, when you can hold the knife and it's not going to like turn into a helicopter, when it's not going to turn into a helicopter, why is it going to turn into a helicopter? And how can you prevent it from turning into a helicopter? That to me is experience. And I feel as though there's a lot of people who, especially in the knife game, who really, and the business game, who haven't seen enough bad things to say, okay, this happened to me, I want I won't let that happen again. You know? Yeah. Uh yeah, absolutely. There is there's something to be said about that, and we do bring that to light a lot through stories on work for it, where we talk about our direct this is the re okay, so this is the reason why I have three stages of development in each one of the hosts on that podcast myself who i would say is the more advanced uh, entrepreneur business person whatever then you've got pickle who's somewhere in the middle where he's full-time been full-time for three five years something like that p.s he's an underrated knife maker his work is insanely he's clean. an underrated knife maker underrated hands underrated. down hands down uh, other than in that world, other than Brent Smith, he's probably the cleanest. They're, I mean, they're right up there. You know, Brent from Baldman, who works with me at, at another Housemate. underrated knife maker, huge, amazing knife maker and designer. Send me and a nice message, by the way. He sent who, me a nice message. Uh, Brent sent me a very nice message about the last episode of Full Blast. It was very nice. He never he, did that before. It was very nice. He listens to everything you do. So he and he always finds it fascinating when I have conversation with you. It, it, he loves your work, and he had listened to Knife Talk for years, even before he came to work at Housemate. So he's he's a big fan, and uh, he's a very clean knife maker. Uh, one of the things about Pickle is that his designs are right off the grinder. You know, he draws them in his mind. And then, you know, it's very rare when you can meet somebody as tactile as those two gentlemen. They are so tactile. And then their ability to not just design and see the knife in their mind, but then to fully execute the design uh, to the point of well beyond all patience that I have. It's inspiring to me because I, it's that, that level of work is just, I, can't, I don't have the patience to do what they do. Why? So I love working with them. 
I'm I don't know. I'm a Twitch. You know, I, I I'm all over the place. I I design everything I do is done in CAD first, and it's iteration after iteration after iteration digitally before I'm able to put it down into steel. Now, by the t- and I think this has something to do with my scarcity complex. There's a lot of things going on with me mentally. Like, what's the scarcity? Com- Wait, hold on. Let me back up. What's the scarcity complex? Scarcity complex is something like you never, you don't really have enough to keep going and you're always worried. So like a lot of people that have scarcity are like considered very conservative financially. They're considered conservative in a lot of things. So they're like worry wart people that like, oh no, you don't want to do that because then you're going to run out of this, blah, 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 blah. That's been me my whole life, you know? And it's because I, I've got that uh, classic, like, you know, my parents argued about money a lot when we were kids and um, you know, we were, we didn't have a lot, you know, growing up. I mean, my, my, on the outside, my dad looked very successful. Uh, and you know, there's more to that, a lot more to that. Um, very stressful, you know, on, he had the 10 year period of my very de- open developmental years where he was an entrepreneur, but at the end of it, it, it wasn't successful, you know? Um, and I, we watched that, that change in him and it, it created a lot of pressure in our house. And so I, for the longest time, like, for instance, I needed shoes, right? I needed shoes. And you would think, dad, you know, dad, I just need shoes. That process of getting me new shoes was really tough in my house. It was, you know, it's not like today where my kids need shoes and I'm just like, sure, what shoes do you want? You know, as long as it's reasonable, we go out and buy shoes. If you don't mind me asking, how old was he? My dad. Uh, he's born in 46. He was born in Illinois hmm. and, uh, he is, I guess, almost 78 now. Cause so. my father was born in 1923 and right at the, the cusp of, of the great, uh, after the great depression. Yes. And there is a lot of people who, who have real, you know, a lot, that group, which is obviously all dying off anyway, they had a real problem spending money in general. Yes. But I was wondering, and I'm wrong. I don't think I'm right in this situation. I thought I was going to get you good. In good this order. case, it's uh, it's different than uh, you would think because he grew up in kind of a middle class family. You know, it wasn't like they had issues with money either. So it's it's a very it was a very strange thing. Like he didn't he would only really spend money on the things he felt were appropriate for himself, kind of thing. It is. Later, we would have a conversation about this, like not too long ago, actually. My father's still alive. And, you know, and he would go, why do you think you're like this? You know, you're really conservative and you do things like 10 times over just to verify that you're not going to waste anything and whatever. Because I'm a big, big, big proponent of very little waste. I don't like waste in, in all regards, time and everything else, materials. And uh, I, and I brought up the fights about money, the shoes. I brought all that up with them, and I said, I don't really fully understand why I'm like this. You know, it's just that I'm really worried. The other part of it is, is that I went through the the financial crisis in the mid uh, 2000s. So, like in 2006 through 2012 or 13, um, you know, we were really poor. Like we didn't have much. We were, I was just starting my business. Like I quit my job in 2006 (laughs) to give you an idea. And uh, had two small children at home and wife that didn't work outside of the house really. And um, she did the hardest job on the planet, which is raising kids. Uh, And we had nothing. Like we were so poor, lived in very, very poor place. And it, that really fucked me up. Like, you know, when you look at your kids and you're like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to put food on the table this week. And like, it can mess with you emotionally. You know, I've now since surpassed that. This is what I call the claw and the climb. 
I think struggle is good. And you've heard me talk about this, and I won't reiterate, but if you've never heard me speak about this subject, when people tell you their story, this has become my story, by the way, you know, like you hear this narrative. And I, you would think that I would think back on it and be resentful, but I'm not. It is actually something that was very good for me. I needed to be poor. I needed to know what it was like to be hungry. So when somebody asks me now, like, you don't really need to work this hard. You don't really need to take these big of risks. I agree with that. I don't. But it is who I am at my core because that's where I find the exciting things. That's where my my mind leads me to, into these places and I think, okay, I no longer have to worry about the money things and monetarily or uh, materialistic type deals. Like if I need something, I just go buy it, whatever. But I don't do that because I know what it feels like tomorrow. This could all be gone. We know right. this, right? It, tomorrow, just like in 2005 and six, somebody you know buys a house for $300,000 and the next fucking day it's worth $80,000, you know? And you can't sell it, right? You can't even sell it because no one has any money. And you realize that it's all a game. It's all a house of cards. You know, the, the whole economy, everything's a house of cards. could fall over at any moment. So I've learned that uh, through trials and tribulations, baptism through fire, whatever you want to call it, that, um, you know, this, things could be very much out of your control and things could change very quickly. And you just have to understand that that's just part of being alive. That's the human experience. And it's okay. Tomorrow you could be diagnosed with a, an illness and it could, it could send you in a completely different trajectory of life. But today, today, I am designing tools for makers. I am doing the work that I believe I'm supposed to be doing. And I love every minute of it. So I am going to leverage that time as much as possible. I'm going to utilize all of it. You, my, the first time I was on this podcast, you titled it The Urgency of Brian House. That has never been more accurate about me. I have a sense of urgency. I will always have it. I don't think it'll be something that'll ever leave me until the day I take my last breath. I will always be with that guy that goes, how can we do this as fast as, and most efficiently as possible and I really want to experience that, and I have the sense of urgency, so let's go for it. Let's this, do it. This episode might be called uh, Rubbernecking with Brian House. <laughs> I love it. Yes, I, of course. You know, you said something that was interesting because I, I, I'm always fascinated by people's motivation, and I know my motive. I know my motivation. I pinpoint last episode, I pinpointed the exact moment when I really became a sculptor, which transformed into everything else. And it was this time where I had made my, my dad wouldn't, I'll, I'll, I'll summarize. My dad wouldn't let me have guns in that when I was a kid, like toy guns. So he showed me how to make use, make use a bandsaw when I was like very young. And I would start to make pistols and I would start to do all this stuff. And I made this rifle with the scope and PVC pipe as a scope. And I used fishing line inside to make the, you know, the crosshair and stuff like that. And he didn't help me at all. And he was incredibly talented. And then he, one day he had a very a friend of his which was an incredible uh hunter and he 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 called me he says jeff go get go get that gun you just made and i brought it to him and he was showing this guy how proud he was of what i had made you know he i wasn't really i didn't really even need to be in the room he just was he unsolicitedly was showing someone what i had done and showing me this degree of pride this pride in what i had done and that's the moment that i st i started to really need the validation by making things and seeing if I can do them and stuff like that. There's no question about it. 
That is something that never goes away is wanting the validation from your father. Right. No matter what age you are, you want that, you know, that you're amazing and thank you for, you know, being my son and doing this work and showing us this. Now, I'm curious, did your dad ever validate you directly or was it? I would think it would mean more that he was doing it with someone else. Like you got a chance to witness it while he was showing you off. There's a few things. Number one is he was a very, he was incredibly talented painter and he also was a sculptor and he was also a terrible teacher. Like he had a real problem teaching. He just couldn't, he couldn't teach me how to paint. He just, he didn't, it might've been a mental block, whatever it was. So he showed me how to use the bandsaw and he, he, I, I, did this without any help and he wanted to show what i had done now i was there and he was proud but it was like surprising because i hadn't i hadn't you know i didn't go up to him and say hey dad this is before i even knew what validation really was i didn't say hey dad look what i just made i just fucking was walking around with it. he goes where the hell did you get that i said i made it and then next thing you know he's showing his friends unsolicited so it was like it cru- it crippled me, frankly. I mean, I could I could possibly have been a lawyer by now if if I had if I had if I hadn't gotten that need from someone who was very cold to me my whole life, someone who was incredibly talented. I recognized his incredible talent, and he was praising me for you know this little thing. So I mean, that's that's number one. But my motivation now has been in the past, let's just say. 30 years has been spite i've been i wanted i want this i want the things that i do to work and i will do them to spite the the lack of confidence that people had in me in general mm. and even when i became a sculptor it was out of spite i was going to be i want an art major everyone was saying oh god hillary's uh who was my girlfriend at the time she, her her step grandfather came to the, to the campus and she introduced me to him and he says what is your major i said i'm a studio art major and he goes oh great now what are we gonna do you know there was like no faith whatsoever so a lot of the stuff was based on i'm gonna do this because number one i know i can do it but i also i'm hungry enough you were talking about being hungry there's certain athletes especially in the beginning stages where and, and they usually refer to them, you know, in, in fighters. When you see in fighters, they just need to get, you know, more money and more fame based on the things that they're doing because you have a limited amount of time to be proficient in what you're doing. Let's just say any kind of athletics. So these younger guys have hunger. They're hungry. And then once they get this fame and once they get this fortune, you maybe they won't in fighting, maybe they won't be as good. And then you hear people say they're not hungry anymore. Or that the problem is, is they got too much food. They're not hungry, and I feel as though that that is a real thing. And I, I, what I appreciate about what you said about you know not having food, and feeling this way, I feel as though you never want that to happen, and you'll always be hungry. It is the source of all my success. Right, is scarcity. Yeah. Right. I, I don't. I don't. I don't wish it though on everybody it's it it is kind of like a mental illness in a way you know i I, it's i people i see this in other people like you i've said this before on this podcast i used to work i used to own a little computer repair shop and i would work i had some very wealthy customers who were 
later in age, older in age, like say 80s, and they were very successful. They still had all of their mental faculties, but they didn't really have their physical. Like some of these guys were in wheelchairs. They needed me to come by and like plug things in or whatever. Some of them were going blind. And they would all love to tell me their story. And I love to listen because I wanted to hear the success stories of these guys who are worth millions and millions of dollars, right? Some of these guys were billionaires even. And you would hear, and I would hear a plethora of different things. And all of them had one thing in common. They loved the pursuit of wealth. You could tell. They just loved their work. Um, and they loved making money, but they, they more than anything, they loved the pursuit. This is the modern hunter gatherer, right? We're out gathering as much as possible for the tribe. But what that can convert to in a someone who has a modified or say broken moral compass, uh, over time, greed can set in, right? And you can become, um, you know, green. And so you have to really be self-aware. You have to understand like, you know, you should not have more than what you uh, you shouldn't have more than what you need, okay? And a lot of these guys, I think, regretted that, that they piled, you know, there were just piles of money, and now they have children who are fighting over who gets dad's money or mom's money or whatever it is later in life, you know? And some of these guys chose to, like, donate all their money, you know, and not give it to their children because they, they just didn't want to do that to them. Um, and I, I got a chance to, like, really get an education of what this looks like because this was at the time where I was really hungry. You know, I'm doing work in 12 to $20 million houses, and then I would drive home to the low-rent uh, district and, and go home. And I would see the stark differences. These people end up in the same places we all end up, you know, in a box buried six feet under. And their life didn't look too much different than mine uh, from the start. You know, these guys would all have the same story. They were poor. They were raised poor. They knew what it felt like to be poor. They didn't want to be poor anymore, so they took huge risks, and they went off and made money. Uh, and then some of them had made money their whole lives. They had never really known what it was like to be poor, but they couldn't give up the scarcity side of things. And I got a really unique opportunity to talk to somebody who I'd worked for who had a scarcity complex, and I got a chance to work for his mother as well. And she told me this whole story about even the time he was like eight years old, he was sifting through change bins in their house, like looking for uh, all the little quarters and dimes and things. And if they had like an imperfection in them, he would run them against the catalogs to look to see, does this dime, is this dime worth more than 10 cents? And, and this was like behavior that this guy had had from the time he was like under 10 years old and I'm working for him and he's in his fifties. He's got more money than he knows what to do with, but he's on all these antidepressants because he has anxiety and he has all these other issues. So, you know, you can look successful from the outside, but the reality of it is you really need to have a balance. And this is where I found making, you know, like doing things with my hands and building things. I find so much solace in that. And I, I can do that work and then also I love the fact that I can create something with that work and sell it to a community of very grateful people. So, you know, you, there's a balance there. I feel like if you don't become self-aware enough, and there's a lot of people that didn't have the opportunity because they were born pre the internet, pre the information age to where they weren't able to gain access to knowledge like that. I'm very blessed. I know what it's like to live in a world that the internet doesn't exist 
and I know what it's like to live in a world where the internet does exist, and I was a part of the transition. And I re- so I'm, you know, like all these. I heard this really funny comedian talking about like have he's talking to an audience of younger people, and he's like, "Have you motherfuckers ever had to rewind anything in your life, yeah. like ever?" That's and funny. it's really funny. And uh, he was a whole having a conversation about mindfulness. How he goes, all these people are talking about mindfulness. He's like, "Yeah, have you ever had to wait in line for a bus or sit there and watch?" condensation drip from the top of a bus while you rode home you know of course not you have a freaking cable service in your pocket you can do whatever you want um and so i'm i'm in the the we you and i both are in a very unique position because we had before and after and so we have gained all this knowledge from being able to share our common experiences with one another Whereas these older gentlemen, I don't think ever had that opportunity. They were a generation before or a couple generations before. So they were stuck in the, you know, just their immediate circle of people and their data resources were very small. So anyway, long story short is scarcity is a thing in my life, um, but I try to keep it in check, you know, as much as possible. But it is a big source of my success. You know, that's what keeps me working and keeps me moving forward every day. I was thinking about you uh, over the Christmas break because, you know, I what I once again I appreciate when you talk. You know, you talk very. You're very organized in your methodology in regards to your business. You think about forecasts. I think that that's one of the important things that a lot of people should be taking away from what you do and what you say is that you're looking forward. You're not just coming in on Monday and saying, "What are we doing now." Like you, and I feel, I'm the same way. Like I need to be organized. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I have employees. So like, I can't be having them fucking sweeping all the time. You know, I gotta like, I gotta make sure that I know what's happening this week, next week, down the line. And I feel very, I feel much more at ease because we're very organized in regards to what happens at Fader Knives. Like I, I know exactly what we're going to do the, for the rest of the week and next week. So it's like, it makes life a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And I was, um, I was looking at our numbers and I was looking at what our orders and stuff like that. And I thought to myself over Christmas, I'm going to make sure that I have, I'm going to stay at the shop and I'm going to finish. I had two more orders that needed to go out before Christmas. Uh, one last one went to uh, Matt Bickers, frankly, oh, okay. and he ordered something. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted January 1st to be empty. I wanted to see, I wanted when Tony and Allison went on the Squarespace, they saw there are not, there are no orders on them. So I went, through it, I got everything done. Everything's out. I don't have any orders. I don't have any orders. And I thought, this is a very good omen. This is a very good omen for the end of the year. And then I made a couple knives. And then I also made a, I made a hammer. I do all these little things as like the omen, a good omen for the end of the year. Went home, thought I was going to feel accomplished. And I felt nothing and anxiety. Hmm. And the anxiety was... It's January 31st, and when I come into the shop on the 1st to the 2nd, all the numbers are going to be down to zero again. We're starting over. Everything's starting over. We have finished the end of the year. We know what we made. We know what we lost. We know what we did. We know how many people went to the website. We know how many people ordered. We know we have all the numbers. We have all the statistics. We have the forecast. And I walk in on Tuesday, and it's starting over again. And I, I went on knife talk and I was just like, you know what? I wish there wasn't an ending. I wish it was just continuation. And I felt as though I felt as though I and I it solidified the idea that I am not a destination guy. 
I am a complete journey person. I did not feel accomplished getting everything done. I did not feel good about myself. I felt like this emptiness. Mm. Like I need to be back on the I need to be back on the treadmill. It was like yeah. get me back in the shop. I right? come back in the shop and let's fucking run these numbers again. Let's run these numbers better than last year. It was really, really like this moment of supposed to be this achievement. And if all I could felt like was can't do it. You know Not that happy. there's there's scientific data that backs up exactly what you're saying. Go ahead. So do you know who Andrew Huberman is? No. Okay, so he's this uh, guy about our age. He's, he's a Stanford uh, professor um, of ophthalmology and biology. So very smart guy. Two right. PhDs, teaches at Stanford, has a podcast called The Huberman Lab, and he interviews people, and they talk about like stuff like this, basically, and, um, and science and biology. And I listened to a very, a very long podcast, just him talking about how we are, um, everyone's looking for the next dopamine release because we now know that dopamine is the hormone that is released in the body that keeps us working, keeps us moving forward. It's like the, you know, it's the motivation drug. It also, you know, gives us uh, something to look forward to as well. So they, they did all these studies on dopamine and what it looks like to get dopamine releases and baseline dopamine versus peak dopamine and all of this. And what they discovered was in all of this, all the studies, was that dopamine is, there's a baseline of dopamine in your body of all, at all times, and there's a peak, there's peak times where you feel the dopamine rush. Everyone knows what this feels like. It's kind of euphoric. And it, the problem with the dopamine peaks is when your peaks go up, so does your baseline. So they, they are uh, collinear. They follow each other. And so a lot of these people that, like they say get addicted to something like cocaine, they snort cocaine and they're high for nine minutes and that's a dopamine release, but the baseline also goes up. So now you're, you know, you, you've got these low lows, you've got these high highs and they never really change. But the reality of it is, and what they discovered was, is that the only way to get the most out of something you're doing is to learn to enjoy the effort in which it took to do it. So if I could liken that to, an, uh, let's make an analogy, right? I get on the treadmill every morning and I run two miles at whatever inclined and whatever heart rate, and I'm following this path to try to get healthy. And um, it's an everyday thing. Like I need to do this every day. I need cardiovascular exercise at least 30 minutes every day. And it started to get really boring. So I got um, this idea that, okay, I'm going to buy a television and I'm going to put it in my workout space so that when I'm on the treadmill, I can watch whatever TV show or YouTube or whatever. And I started doing that, and it didn't bring me anything. It, just, right. it almost made it worse. Like I was just like, I don't understand. You know, I should be able to put on my favorite show, and I should be able to watch that while I'm on the treadmill, and it should make this experience better. And then I heard Andrew talking about this on the podcast. And I realized, okay, I, I can't stack these dopamine releases. I got to do one at a time. And I also need to appreciate the effort. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my AirPods in. I'm just going to listen to music. And I'm going to push myself on that treadmill harder than I normally do, but within reason. 
and I'm going to sit and focus on the effort of that thing that I'm doing, which is cardiovascular exercise. And don't you fucking know it. It worked, and it worked immediately. I was in a zone. I was able to work out and not – I was always – I'm the guy that's watching the ticker going, okay, I need to only do this for another 22 minutes. Okay, now it's 21 minutes, and you know, I'm, a, da, 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 da. I'm in my head. I'm not really focusing on the effort. The minute I focused on the effort, it changed how I felt on that treadmill, and time went by faster. I was enjoying it. But I had to know that I needed to enjoy it. I had to, like, who the fuck wants to enjoy cardiovascular exercise? Like, what the fuck? No, you know. And then it came to me. This is the same. You can apply this to work. You can apply this to washing dishes if you want. Learn to enjoy the effort, and your life will become that much more enjoyable. I, I totally appreciate what you're saying because like i totally believe and i've been saying this for a number of years that most makers shy away from the concept of discipline and in the united states discipline is referred to you know i think most people think when they hear of discipline they think of either their teachers getting mad at them their parents getting mad at them or some fucking bdsm fucking you know some sexual proclivity they don't see it as in like you know, when you do this and then you do that, you get this. You know, blacksmithing is the ultimate form of discipline where you do, you can't, if you want it to look a certain way, you have a certain amount of technique that you can uh, uh, apply to this object at a specific heat with this, with a specific amount of time. You don't have a lot of time and then you execute the technique and then you manifest the creativity that you have in yourself. And I feel as though that that's a discipline thing that a lot of people shy away from. Um, actually, I think I was thinking I was thinking a lot. I think a lot lately. Lately, the past number of years, actually, since nine eleven, sports has been very important to me because after nine eleven in New York, being in nine eleven New York, it was like it was the most grim part of our lives. My wife and I always say, even with the death of our parents, the death of this, there was nothing scarier or frightening than living in New York and seeing the seeing the World Trade Center's fall, seeing the second plane hit, living the aftermath of New York. Aftermath, it was unbelievable. The one thing that brought New York back was when the Yankees came back, and the Yankees played, and George George Bush threw the first pitch. And it was as if October baseball made everything okay. So that was like this real spark of the traumas, especially during COVID. I was watching a lot of sports. I was listening to a lot of sports. I was listening to sports radio. And sports has really become something that I'm fascinated by. And a lot of it is because when we think about influences, influences that we have, the influences I have now is as I look up to athletes because – they have trained and they've worked really hard to get the, to the level that they're at. And it's the countless hours and the stuff that's not fun and the stuff that they don't want to do and the, and the working out that they don't want to do and the working late that they don't want to do. And you see these people who were counted out and they're able to perform at the highest level in front of millions of people booing them or cheering them or whatever. You have a good night. You have a bad night. They're performing at the highest level. And they're performing some nights excellence that is unimaginable. And I'm fascinated by that concept of 
that being able to perform at the highest level and the idea of discipline. This is, is this getting too fucking woo-woo? No, no, not at all. Okay. I, I know what you're saying. I'm following. Jalen Brunson is, he's, I talk about him a lot. Jalen Brunson is, the, this, uh, is a point guard for the Knicks. He's not tall. He's only 6'2", and for basketball, he might as well be 3'2". He worked hard. He had no natural talents. He doesn't have long arms. He's not gifted to be totally long. He has worked to become one of the best point guards in the NBA by sheer hard work since a, chi- since a child. Since a child, he's worked like a dog. And that, to me, is the most ex- exciting thing, is seeing these guys who have spent just years of their life working hard, working so hard and, and then acceding to this level of excellence. You know? Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. And this, and this is what they talk about when, they're, when people run a marathon as well, is that there's all this work that goes into running 26.2 miles or whatever it is. And the exclamation point is the race. Everything else, though, all the training that led up to it, the effort that goes into that, that's the pursuit. That's the, the journey in which you're, you know, where you're, when you start working on something, the journey is really where the gold is. And I, you know, you see this in my content. I'm working on these, these scoops, you know, these silly copper brass uh, stainless scoops, and it's a common design. Other people have designed these things. You know, years ago, people put these out there, and I started the pathway of trying to figure out how to make my own scoops. You, you said to me at Maker Camp, you're like Brian, you gotta, you gotta learn how to blacksmith. I want you to do your, I want you to follow this path, and I, and I took that seriously. Uh, and I, I, you know, I do it in my own little way and different ways that I'm comfortable with, but I'm learning how to shape metal and do it with heat and do it with different techniques. And I've started sharing my journey on what it looked like to make these scoops. And then of course it snowballed because people love watching me figure something out. Right. Uh, in fact, 2.8 million people watch me do it. Okay, wow. that, that's a lot of people. Super. It's, it's amazing. It's it, it blows, blows me away every time I look at these numbers. And everything I've shared subsequently to that, uh, people are following along with, uh, with rigor. They want to know. So I was like, okay, I'm going to monetize this. I'm going to make kits, and I'm going to sell scoop kits so people can do this themselves, and then I'm going to enable them to do it, just like we do with all of our other tooling and things like that. But this is different. This is an artistic endeavor that has a guide. It has somebody that can say, if you do this, you'll get this. Kind of like your, by the way, I just got a text message from Sarah, and she said, make sure you tell Jeff how much you love the painting that I got you from him for Christmas. And I do love it. In fact, I'm staring at it right now. Let's, it's on my wall. And we're going to talk it. about that in a minute. I want to hear you talk. Keep talking about the scoops. We're going to go back. We're going back because I got. Go I, I, I don't want to forget to tell we you. We won't forget. I don't. It. I appreciate okay. it. We're going to talk about that next. Go ahead. Go so back to the scoops. The scoops project. It. I decided. Okay, I'm going to make this a kit so people can join along and do this with me, and and we'll sell a bunch of those, and that'll be fantastic. We'll make a little bit of money while we do it, and we'll also enable a whole bunch of people that make things to make something they've maybe never done before. And this was my goal when I started this project was that I wanted to learn this because 
you've got a bunch of guys making knives right now. There's a, there's a lot of guys out there that have all the equipment to make knives, but they're not really branching out into other things. And I've, I've said this so many times on my podcast about how everyone needs a cheaper, or I, I use that term loosely, I should say, less expensive item on their table or on their website that they can sell that is a sort of a flagship product that just generates revenue for them. Entry and level. Entry, entry level. level too. Right. You know, not everybody comes to a website. Even a $300 knife is expensive for a lot of people. Telling you about it. And so, you know, a scoop or something along those lines. I have these scoops in my house. I have one made by Josh Howard. And I have one made, uh, uh, I have a couple that are made by my by me. I tried to buy one from Derek Melton. He was sold out. The guy sells so many of them, he's sold out. Uh, and Josh made me one, and I love it. And I used it every day. And I, and I scoop my coffee beans into my pot and whatever else. And I'm like, gosh, this is such a simple concept. It's a spoon, but it's, it brings me so much joy. You know, I love using this thing. It's handmade. So when we went down the road to figure out how to make them and then figure out how to do the kits, I realized, you know, these a lot of these guys have all the tooling to do this in their workshops. Why are they not doing some more of these things? And I think it's because we focus on the knives because knives are cool, they're manly, we love making them and whatever else. But the margin, when you look at it from a business standpoint on a knife, the time that's spent to do it and the amount of energy spent, materials and so on, you know, your margins are pretty, pretty low when it comes to some of these things. If you can't sell a knife, you know, over $300, you, you know, you're spending a lot of time. You're not making a lot of money. So I try, I'm trying to encourage these guys to do something other, break out, do something different. Well, how can I ask them to do that if I don't do it myself, right? So I need to go out and do it and figure it out. And of course, there's a whole bunch of people asking me like, Hey, if I buy these from you, is it okay if I put them on my table and sell them at my, you know, the farmer's market or wherever I go? And I'm like, you have to understand something. I made this so that you could do that. I made this so that you would branch out. So when you have, uh, let's just say you have $250 knives on your table for the, on average, right? And then somebody walks up and sees a $65 scoop and they go, gosh, I would really love to have one of your knives. I can't afford that but they'll walk away with a scoop and you've sold them something. Number one, you've broken the ice with them. You're going to give them the scoop. You're going to give them their, a business card or something they can take with them so that they know who you are in the future. And maybe later down the road, when they have a little bit more disposable income, they come back and buy a knife from you. This is what we call in the business industry of breaking the ice. It is a common thing. You do business with somebody, the first transaction, boom, broke the ice. All right, cool. Was it was it everything you thought it would be? Did you make a ton of money in that transaction? Probably not. But what you did was you did your first piece of business with that person. You did a transaction. And they're never going to forget that. They're going to come back to you and buy something else. They're going to buy gifts in, during the Christmas period and all of that. This is the basis of all business. It doesn't matter whether you're selling refrigerators or you're selling knives. You have to start somewhere. And the scoops is what I hope to do that with. The, the community can make these scoops. We started, uh, uh, we started doing, uh, years ago, I, I refused to make cleavers just because it's such a huge amount of time and energy and material. And it, I just don't want to. I've made cleavers before. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like anything about it. And we started doing, we call it a rehab. And so uh, my business partner would just find, you know, old uh, cleavers and we would just, I'd give them a spa and I'd 
dump them in the, you know, clean off the rust and clean them all off and clean them up. And we would rehandle them and make them like new. And it was great. And recently I really wanted to branch out into something other than chef knives and culinary knives and stuff like that. So I started, uh, somebody, a customer reached out and said, do you think you could rehandle this spatula I have? Because the handle fell off. And I rehandled it, and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool, and people liked it, and I did my own. And then I started getting old uh, spatulas and then rehandling them in the style of the way we do knives here. And it's been a nice addition. It's not like we're not paying the bill. I mean, we're, we're doing fine with them. It's just a nice addition to what we have that's not, like you said, $300. It's like, oh, you know, 125 bucks, 150 bucks for something that's kind of nice made by, you know, and I'm now I'm starting to get people who have bought knives from me who want me to m make it and match the knives that they have and the spatula. So yeah, yeah. The, figuring out ways in which to, to, you know, not just stay in one spot is always a good thing. Remember that you're in business to make things and you're in business to make things for yourself, right? So like you're, you're doing things, you're working for yourself. You don't, my, my thing is I'm unemployable. Like you couldn't ask me to work for someone else. I'm just not built that way. And I assume a lot of people who are listening to this are in the same boat. So I urge you to understand the basis of all good business and that is cash flow. And smart cash flow, of course, but you know, you need revenues. The spatula project for fader knives is fucking brilliant because I'm sure there's an abundance of these spatulas. You can purchase them, uh, you know, either online or thrift stores or wherever you get them. And then you're not actually making them. So, it, it, but in my head, the manufacturer says you could probably have those water jet cut pretty cheap and you could make spatulas pretty easily. We down, we went down the road. It, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. There you go. Okay. So not worth the squeeze, but if you can get them used and you can put them back into circulation with new handles that are very, very trendy. And Some of them are new. The so oh. most of them are new. I mean, oh, I'm they're getting, new. I'm getting most of them are new and I'm just cutting the handles off. And fantastic. Then redoing the handles. Oh my gosh. It fantastic. was just a. It was just a way to kind of also, it's interesting. The knife game is very strange. And I'm glad you said you, you talked about cash flow and the business end of it because a lot of knife makers, um, I don't know what they're doing, but they're not marketing to regular customers. It's as if that they're marketing to other knife makers. Oh, yeah, definitely. I've, I've said this before. Oh, 100%. Idiotic. And it's like, it's, it always shocks me. And it going back to knife makers getting, you know, business advice from other knife makers and hearing the things that I've, when I was back in the day, you know, maybe nine years ago or something like that, I, I heard a knife maker say, oh, you can't go into business. It's not worth it. You can't make money being a knife maker. And I was just like, eh, I think you can. I think that, you know, you just can't market to other knife makers. And, and I feel as though there's definitely, and listening to people on Knife Talk. And frankly, I blame Knife Talk because we've been, you know, helping spread these, you know, inaccuracies of, well, that's the reason why Workforce is so good is because you're using more real world business experience as opposed to, I'm trying to get Knife Talk to be more about, um, you know, the fun of it. But the questions we end up getting are always business related. And Mareko and Craig, they don't really, I mean, their business is not, their business isn't really 100%. The, they don't have a lot of business experience whatsoever. Not that I do, but it's like, eh, I'm part of me is always question whether or not our business advice is, 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 uh, is any good or not. 
Um, a lot of it's, I usually, the, 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 the answers I usually give are based on my experience. I don't pretend to be, you know, some sort of, you know, I'm not like, I'm not like the Zwilling family, you know? Yeah. You, I mean, and you know, just sharing your experience is important. I think, you know, whether or not your advice is on point, you know, every, there's a lot of situations where you, you can't fully answer the question or maybe you don't have the experience but you can also explain to them like this similar situation happened to me and i can i could speak intelligently on that and and share my experience that's usually what we do yeah, that's, that's what usually do. what that's we good. do I mean, we, we're never we one of the criticisms we never get is that we're full of shit that's the one good thing i'm always you know you know we say fuck too many times or we have this like you know we have this juvenile humor and stuff like that but no one ever says these guys are full of shit and that's always, in my opinion, that's the that's the fucking crown. You know, we may say things not great, but we're never full of shit. So <laughs> that's way better. I, I think that that is a good thing. Absolutely. We and we don't get that either. By the way, we don't ha hardly have anybody you know calling us out. We ha we do have people disagree with the things that we say or directly with me. Which also, by the way, you have to be open to hearing that and going, yeah, I could see your point there, and you know, I'm my my version of whatever happened is just my version, and I I know that, you know, we can't all be we can't all have the same um, you know the same outcome for every experience, but you what you can do is share your common advice amongst the things that you've had happen, and 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 listen, like watching fader knives grow and do these things. Like I see the hustle, like I see what you guys are up to, and I, I just really appreciate it because you're not compromising. I think that's a big something. If you look at Fader now, like I've watched your development over the years, and you're not compromising on, you know, your pricing. You're not trying to get like, you know, these. You're not trying to make things that are fifty dollars or you know whatever. You're a true artisan who is in manufacturing, and you're making things for a fair price. That isn't the cheapest and isn't the most expensive, but you're you're creating a very unique and functional tool for the kitchen. Then you're going to add things like spatulas and tongs or whatever it is you might add over the years to uh, you know keep that business flow going, that cash flow moving through your business, and that's smart business. And there's just so many people that, like you said, I'm a knife maker or don't get into knife making because. I can't make money at it, and neither can you. Right. Bullshit. That is not the case. There's a lot of guys out there making really great livings of doing this, and when you read about that guy on Facebook who's fed up and he's selling all of his tools, it's just because he's a bad business person. Yeah. That's it. That's, there's nothing else to it. He, he just didn't give it enough time, or he didn't put enough energy into one particular side of things and whatever else, and that's okay. And by the way, not everybody that starts a business is going to see it all the way through. In fact, 98% of all businesses that are started, they they shut down within the first year. And if you surpass year five, you're in like the top 1% of 1%. And that's okay too because it goes back to the passion component of doing anything you really, you know, any kind of endeavor that you really want to do. If the passion component isn't there, when you're not making money, boy, does that make it real fucking easy to back out and stop doing it. But if you have that passion piece, like you have for the work that you do, you love knives and you also love sculpture, you're moving into that world. So you're like, you know what? I'll make this work no matter what. I got a way. I'm going to figure this out. Same with me. I love making tools, love making stuff for people. 
It is my passion. So when we have a shitty month and I got to come out of pocket to make payroll, I'm doing it. I'm fucking doing it. It's, uh, it doesn't matter. I'm not taking a paycheck this week because I'm doing it. It's okay. I know that I need to do X, Y, and Z to get back on track. I love this business. I wouldn't shut it down. There's a lot of guys out there, though, that go, I got into this because I thought I was going to make a million dollars making right. knives or scoops or whatever it is. And man, I, I didn't do that well. I only made 30 grand last year. Yeah, well, fuck you. You made 30 grand. So next year, try to double it. Like, you don't obviously want it that bad. You obviously don't care enough about this that much. You would, you would much rather give up and go do something else. And there's no shame in that either. But don't sit here and spread all this negativity about this particular subject just because you were a failure at it. There, there's also a lot of hope going around. And I hate hope. I, <laughs> I, I hate hope. I hope sucks. The reason why hope sucks is, is because it, it takes away... It takes away your being proactive. I hate to use the word proactive, but it really is. It hates the. It, it takes away the hard work. It takes away the hard work that you're doing to put yourself in a, in front of a position to take uh, advantage of it. And I feel like I've, I. There was an old Opie and Anthony where they were they were saying, "Don't never go home with hope." And I love that shit because it's like it's true. You have to do it yourself. And you know, I I, I was gonna give you a hard time when you were saying uh, you had a, your your quote for a while was uh, hard work and good luck. Still, I is. hate luck. I hate I luck. I love it. I hate luck. I hate luck too. L- hope and luck will fuck themselves because it's like <laughs> you're not putting yourself in the, your your job is to do the right thing and you put yourself in a position. You know, actually last episode we some we also talk. Everybody talks about karma. I never use the word karma because karma is about like when you die, you're going to be, you know, the, the Tao and the, and the, you're going to be turned into a, you're going to wake up in a, as a worm or something. That's to me, that's what karma is. Sure. I always see it, the law of averages, where if you're an asshole to enough people, one of them is going to hit you with a tire iron. You know? <laughs> and, and so it's the opposite is if you're a good person enough, you're going to, you know, that, that'll come back to you. So I always say it's not that it's not karma, but it's the law of averages, because you know that's what happens. You you, you take advantage of enough people, and one day someone can give it to you. Sure. So, but um, back to what we fucking talking. Oh, but uh, I I think I I find I find it I find it all to be about like believing in what you're doing and working hard, but also. You've said something that I, I totally have been repeating, and it's something that you've said is when you're in this kind of business, 50% is making and 50% is marketing. 100%. 100%. That's right. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. The 50-50 rule. It's, uh, it, that, is, that is so important because when I started on Instagram about 13, 14 years ago, it was in order for me to get out of pimp relationships with that galleries. It was the only way I could get any marketing done that I wasn't getting someone who was taking a piece. And I just knew that the more I shared what I was doing, the more opportunities I would have. And that's exactly what happened. And it became to the point where I was like, I got to post every day. And it has been something that if I, I, I see, if I don't get out there, maybe it won't be every day. Maybe it'll be every, you know, a post every day. But it'll be, I'll definitely do stories and I'll do every other day. I'll have some, you know, some sort of valuable post. I will see revenue increase all the time without Hands question. Down. Hands down. Without question, because otherwise they forget free. about you. And it's free.
and they for otherwise they forget about you. Yeah. It's like podcast. It's like when people take breaks from podcasts where they're podcasting, they want to do a weekly podcast and they'll fuck off for a couple months. They forget about you. That's right. You gotta you gotta keep going. I you I was gonna ask you about this, but I Go didn't want to take any credit for it because I noticed that you were posting more on socials. And I was wondering if you were taking my advice about 50-50 because, I, you know, I, and I'm sure you knew this rule, but I was just reminding you of it, I think, you know. If you want to take credit, feel free. I don't care. I, I don't. I, I, that's I, just not why I'm saying I, it, No, that's way. fine. But, Listen, but, Brian but I, wants to take credit for it. Go ahead. I'm just kidding. I'm I, just had, I had. I <laughs> had. I'm just joking. I had been watching your development because at one time you and I had a I don't know if it was a private or public conversation can't remember but we talked about how you were kind of fed up with Instagram kind of fed up with socials and you were just like oh it's a lot of work and I don't know if it's the return is there and blah 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 and I've parroted all the time like sitting here on the podcast talking about 50 50 rule and and I've I try to mention it almost in every episode and then I started noticing that you were flooding, not flooding, but at least posting one to two pieces of really good content a week on Instagram, like well, really good, like very, very well thought out reels using your knives or tools or whatever it is and creating fantastic content that I want to watch. When I see one of your reels pop up, I go, okay, this is, this is good. Like you're, I love the thing where you're pulling out of your pocket and all the shit's coming out and you just keep piling things in. I'm like, God damn it, that's well thought out uh, and, and blah, blah, blah. And what it does is, though, from a consumer standpoint, people are watching this going, I got to buy something from Jeff. I need one of those fucking shop utility knives he makes. I love those goddamn things. And, they're, and it generates sales. It's the classic, this is how it should work scenario with the 50-50 rule. And I was just curious if well, I'll you've, tell already, you. you've already said it, it that it, it's working. Like, I'll it tell you. Sense. I'll tell you. I have, if you. I have never taken weeks off since I've started. And we're talking like, I mean, I started on Instagram when it started, when it was that fucking, the icon was like a Polaroid. You know, when it was like a, yes. like a remember that? <laughs> I do. Like, yes. When it first started, it was like a, it was like a, it looked like a Jeep, Wagoneer and a, and it had a baby with a with a Polaroid. Yes, I've been and I ne I've always been consistent even back in the day because we would get business. I'm talking 13 years ago, sure. so I always understood it. I it took me a while to embrace the reels, and I that was the one thing that was the problematic because oh, you know I taking see. a picture was taking a picture was easy. And the thing was, for what I was doing, people were able to screenshot and then send it to me. Can you make this? So for me, the reels were, I just didn't really want to be involved. I just didn't want to have to film. I just didn't want, I had to figure out a way to enjoy it. And that was my issue because I never stopped, you know, taking a picture of an, I take a picture of a knife, fix the, fix the colors and stuff like that, and then send it up. And that was really good business because it allowed people to see what I was doing. It was a catalog, and then they could send me a screenshot saying, do you have anything like this? The reels became a little bit more work than I expected. Now I'm figuring out ways in which to do them, and it's not taking me as much time. I'm not doing a lot of... A t I'm trying to think things through before I actually do it and then try to do it. And then I also don't really like micromanage at all, and I allow things to be the way they are, and I don't go crazy. So the answer is, is the reels were something I hated to have to do. I hated to have to be put in the position of now I got to fucking do video. 
that was my issue. Makes sense. Yeah. I but at the saying. same time, no, you, I, 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 you know, you, you see, you see the opportunities and you see the potential. It's funny. I was, I talked to Chris Zepp a lot. I talked to Chris Zepp a lot and he's, he's great. He's great at all this. He's great at all this. And he just had this video where he's, where he's, uh, dropping some fucking ball bearings on some anvils and he's explaining the difference and i wanted to you know reach the camera and choke him because i'm just like that's really you're, you're, you know he ended up you know going to 10 million views from this these fucking videos and stuff like that and he goes yeah. on and i love him i i speak to him often i love chris he goes well see what happens when you when you post a lot and you never know what's gonna happen and i wanted to say yeah but you got 150,000 followers you shithead you're already <laughs> you're already kind of like gaming the system because you have all these views and you're gonna get the you're gonna you have the a leg up on the in the algorithm anyway Respectfully, I know Chris is one of my one of my favorite people on the planet. But you know, look, you got to do whatever it takes, right? I, I think that uh, guys like Chris Zepp, they're throwing things to the wall and make, seeing if it'll stick, right? right? But at the same time, he's learning that you know I know what things to throw against the wall and i See, think but that's what i love about his work with with the difference between me my feed and your feed is also is you're also your business your business uh your demographic is more makers where my demographic are in my in, in what we want are cooks and home cooks and people at home so when they see my feed i want them to not just think that i'm just you know, uh, I, I want them to know that I'm selling knives too. So it's this tricky move where you have to figure out ways in which to be, you know, thinking about the whole thing. And I, I'm very conscious in terms of like, is this, is this, a, am I showing, am I doing this because I want to attract knife makers or am I doing this because I'm trying to find new viewers? And that's think, really where it comes from. I think you're doing it the right way by including the cooking content and some of the more funny things, making you more relatable. I just think it, so win all around i wouldn't change a thing keep being yourself keep showing what you're doing and talking and the i'm with you thing and the you know all the all that shit it's very it seems like it's very you and it, i know you personally so i i just think you're doing it the right way because when it comes down to business the the very core of all business is people do business with whom they know and they like and how else can you get that done uh, in any other capacity through social media other than being yourself and kind of making people laugh, entertaining them or showing them your process or whatever else, or listening to a podcast. This is, you know, we get business from po our podcast. People buy our items because they hear me talking about the process um, and or watching me do it on Instagram, Facebook, in, in TikTok, wherever. And I just think like, I love that process so much. I enjoy, you know, the education side of it. I enjoy just sharing. I love the attention. I, you know, it makes you feel like you're famous, like people recognize me in, in places. And it's like, God damn, like this is a powerful medium and I love it. And it, it feeds my ego all at the same time. Um, and by the way, getting back to karma, I just wanted to say like your version of karma and my version of karma are the same. Like I, you're right though. It's more of the law of averages. I just I've, don't, you know. I, I feel I just, that way. I, I like that. I, I like. I like. I like the tire iron. I like to use the. Tire it's the iron golden example. rule. I don't yes, think that, it's the golden rule, right? I, I mean, just this don't is think that you know the Buddha would be too psyched about me using the tire iron reference. But that's why I don't. You know. I don't know. You never. Know. All right. Last thing, I'm going to wrap this fucker up, and I'm. I, I want to put you on the spot. I'm going to put you on the spot here. This is an easy one, though, not hard. 
we're talking about the friction folders. When I gave you that hammer, I I don't, I don't sell hammers. I'm not in. The, I'm not going to be. A, at one point, I thought oh, I can learn how to make hammers. I'm going to sell hammers. I don't, that's not for me. I'm on a journey. The blacksmith thing is still this journey, and it's all experience and getting better and figuring out different ways to do things. And for me, it's the ultimate religion to me. Blacksmithing, forging is religion. When I said to you, I want you to be a blacksmith, part of me wants to say to you, I want you to come to the Center for Metal Arts and I want you to take my class. And this is the reason. I feel as though there's philosophical things that you would really benefit from for the things that you make for other blacksmiths and bladesmiths. I would, I would encourage you to come down to the Center for Mental Arts and, 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 and hang out for the weekend. Yes, of course. I Absolutely. want you to think about it. I want you to think about it. I've I mean, wanted to come to Barcelona and do the classes that, with you, know you what? and Tomer. Barcelona is great, yeah. but from, in terms of an educational experience, you will get a thousand times more out of going to the Center for Mental Arts. Okay. I'm telling yeah. you, and I'm telling you why. My class is less about the knife and more about the journey to make the knife. The decisions I make, figuring out how to do things, the simple, it's very, very simple and efficient forging and effective in one of the greatest schools in the country. I feel as though one of the things that will benefit you because of your making these beautiful forges that I got to use and the all the stuff that you're going to use, you're going to end up with more experiences going to help you think about the future projects that you're going to make. I think it will benefit right. you. That's it. I'm not, no, don't, it's not a hard sell. I just, I just know that you will, you and your business will, will benefit taking a class. Is this not what you got? It doesn't have to be from me, but we'll have some fun. Is this what you got to do now to get people in your classes? You got to no, put them on your podcast. No, I, listen, you know, here's the best thing about this fucking class. The Center for Mental Arts is a nonprofit. So I want my job. I, I don't teach. I teach with Tomer in Barcelona because it's fun and I love him and uh, it's a great opportunity. I will only now teach forging class to the Center for Mental Arts because I believe in what Pat Quinn's doing. It's the most important to me, that particular place, because I used to work there. But it's the most important to me because we have this giant influx of people interested in forging and they're learning on the internet and they are playing mm. and they're not understanding that it isn't just, Oh, I just heat the steel up and hit it. And then it turns into something that doesn't, that's not it. That's not it. It's a, it's a discipline. It's like, it's a discipline. It's like closer to being a martial art than, in, than it is to be a hobby. And I believe personally in the center for mental arts and the reason why i don't have to do why i don't have to hawk people in china to come is because it's a non-profit so i get one class if i get one student or i get a hundred or i get eight students i am getting paid the same and they don't fucking care i'm just busting your balls yeah i know why you're doing you know it. so I it's totally like agree. i don't give a shit i i honestly that is like to me that's that's the that's the the journey to going to the center for mental arts is really important everybody who goes there always says this is way worth the weekend and then they go take more classes but you will be a better 
blacksmith if you go to the Center for Metal Arts. I, I think you're 100% a, a, you're right about this, and I wanted to take a class there for some time. And uh, looking at the painting that you made, by the way, um, you know, I love the concept that you, what you're preaching right now is in visual representation in my office where I record this podcast. It's a, it's a beautiful watercolor of the process in which you take to create your friction folder, which I own and I love that knife and um, I'm very fond of it. And so you know, looking at the progression of the steel, it makes sense to me because I've seen other people do this process. Or, and in fact, I watched you do it at Maker Camp, and I I really understand what you're trying to say. What you're trying to say is, you know, um, it's not about bending the spoon. It's not about the spoon itself. It's about knowing you can do it and the process that it's there, right? And so. How, how you achieve that process and what I'll take away from that will be super valuable in all of the other processes that I'm doing, you know, thinking 10 steps ahead or whatever it might be. And I love that concept because you're right about it. And I just don't apply it to handmade items. I'm just, I'm reliant upon digital means to do all the things that I do. And so this would make this would basically take my brain, divide it in half, and send me into a completely different direction, which will probably bring me more ideas and make me more successful. I think that you, I think that class, I think that every person who's forging should take classes. And I think because I think that, and it's hard. It's very hard for people to do it. It's very hard for people to take the time to do it. But going to a school with reputable teachers who are and a, a very solid curriculum. It's like going to the gym and having someone help you, having someone help you figure out how to use the equipment and your body and how to stand and how to hit. And that there's a lot of mechanics involved and there's a lot of stuff that you cannot learn by looking at a piece of paper. There's stuff that you cannot learn. Like I'll stop someone because I don't like the way they're holding their hammer or, or the way they're standing or even the size of their hammer or you know, the reason why we use the hammer or the different types of hammer. There's a lot more to it that I think that you will get some, and I won't hockey in China anymore. I'm just telling no, you. No, no, I'm in. Like, I, you I, just make sure I'm educated as to when these classes are. So I'll I, I send you some options when this is all over and I'll, and I will, I will make it worth your while. I will make it worth your while. Guaranteed. Fantastic. I'm in guys. We could go all day and we will, he'll be back. Brian House will be back. This was too good of a conversation, and I had some other things I wanted to talk about, but you know how things go, ladies and germs. Brian House is always, you got an open invite here. Anytime you want to sling it, I might, you're part of, that, you're part of that, that bullpen of guys I can count on when I need to burn a couple hours. Always. You're my guy. I'm in. If you want to listen to more of Brian House, go to the Work For It podcast wherever you listen to other podcasts it's definitely worth it this iteration with pickle cutter is a triumph i really enjoy it i'm actually when you were talking about the i listen to it every on thursday mornings when i start the peloton i'm one of your first guys to download it because i usually thursdays sometimes i get sick of these peloton structures and i need a little break so so i i usually listen to you while i'm on the on the peloton so go to the work for podcast Go follow Brian Housemade on uh, how is it Housemade on uh, on Instagram? Housemade.us. Housemade.us. Go to his YouTube channel. 
Follow whatever he's doing because whatever he's doing, he's doing it right, ladies and gentlemen. You got to get involved with what he's up to, the Revolution Project, the Apollo Forge, the coming soon, the quench, the rapid quench plates, which are awesome. We're going to talk about that sometime. You're going to come back on when you have that more. You're selling them. And I cannot thank you enough for being my friend, Brian House. I appreciate you, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me on. You are the man. All right, guys, we will see you next week. Thanks again, Brian. You're welcome. Thank you.